This morning I just want to look at, at verses, uh, the last several verses of chapter 4 in Philippians. And as we've gone through this book, uh, we've just uh, kind of dug into a wealth of information and everything from the practical, how to have a stable Christian life to um, you know, how to treat others in the body and, and uh, it's, it's going on and on. And, and Paul's always very practical when he uh, speaks to us through, through God's Word. And I just want to focus a little bit on the, the last couple phrases here in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4, and uh, beginning in verse 20. And I just want to read this for us. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And then he says, Amen. And then he puts a little P.S. here at the end of the, the letter. He says, By the way, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And then he says once again, Amen. But this morning I want to look at the, the, the subject of uh, what, what it means to be a saint of God. Um, you know, that's really the theme here. He's talking about the saints of God in verses 20 through 23. And uh, the word saint has really drifted quite, quite a bit and it's been loaded down with all sorts of different kinds of baggage, cultural baggage and religious baggage, and, and all sorts of things. And um, to some it's almost, you know, what do you think you are, a saint? You know, they use it as an insult, thinking you're kind of like holier than thou, that kind of attitude. Um, you know, and they would not call themselves saints because they would think that they would feel be portraying themselves as kind of egotistical or, or you know, goody two-shoes, better than everybody else, boastful, proud. Um, others believe that saints are those who do incredibly good things in our humanity. You know, um, they help others and because of that they become a saint. Uh, a certain church makes them a saint. And they kind of conjure up this image of this, you know, figure that's bigger than life. And, uh, you know, you kind of see him standing in the shadows of a stained glass window or something, and that's Saint so-and-so. Um, and a lot of confusion has been brought up about that word saint, mainly by one church, the Roman Catholic Church. And, um, you know, the Roman Catholic Church really teaches their, their theology, uh, in their theology, the, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that, that basically um, a saint is someone, because of her or his exemplary life, something they've done, maybe the incredible merit or virtue, something they have that's just far beyond devotion, religious achievement, whatever it might be, is far above anybody else. And so they, they think that, you know, who can expect to enter heaven, um, you know, only after a prolonged period in what they call purgatory, kind of a holding tank. And one of those people are saints. They kind of get elevated right into heaven. And it's an official decree by the Pope. And when the Pope says somebody's a saint, well, then they're a saint. Well, that's kind of not what the New Testament talks about as far as saints go. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of important to look at what this word means. That word saint um, is really one of the Apostle Paul's favorite words. Uh, he, he uses it, um, you know, more than 40 times in his epistles at several places. And it's also, 
you know, what he, what he is describing a saint to be, and let's just give the biblical uh, definition of someone who is a saint. A saint is anyone who has come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a saint is. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, a saint is somebody who has put their faith, their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul, over and over again, he addresses believers as saints in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can look in the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, um, so forth. On each page, in the beginning, he usually opens up those books with, I greet the saints who are at such and such a place. And uh, Romans 1.7, he said, To all who are in Rome, be beloved of God, called to be, what? Saints. Over in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, he uses the same term. 1 Corinthians 14.33, uh, he says, um, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the what? Of the saints. And he uses it in Second Corinthians and in Ephesians and such and such, over and over and over again. So he likes to call believers saints, and that's what we are. They're those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Uh, the word itself, the word saint, um, really comes from you know, it's, it's a character or it's a nature of a saint. It, it means to be set apart, to be called out from. It means to be separated or sanctified. Um, probably the best translation is holy ones. You say, well, I would never qualify as a holy one. You know, uh, well, you know what? You do if you've put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, and that's, that's key to understanding your Christian life. Because if you've been raised up to think, well, you know, only the good people get to heaven. Only those who are, are good by their deed. Those are the people that will get to heaven. That's the way I was raised. Um, that's not really biblical. You know, the people who will be in heaven are those who recognize that they're sinners and that they're saved by grace. And, and they cry out to God and they say, hey, you know what? There's no other way except you save me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And when that transaction takes place, God takes us from our sinful state, our sinful nature, and the Bible says He transforms us. He creates us as a new being, as a new person in Christ. And as a result of that, we're transformed into not a sinner, but now as God looks at us, He looks at us as saints. He looks at us as someone who He called out. Remember when you're growing up and, uh, in gym class in high school or even elementary age, you get out there and, you know, and then, okay, everybody line up against the wall. And you all have to line up against the wall. And they say, okay, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so, come out here, now pick teams. Didn't you hate that? I mean, maybe if you were good and you got picked first or you were the one picking the teams, you know, you probably loved it. But I remember that, you know, I was okay in sports, but I wasn't anything great. And there was a couple times that I was just praying, don't let me be the last one. You know, please don't let me, let them pick that girl before me. I mean, it was just humiliating. I mean, it was traumatizing to a, an elementary age kid. And it was just for kickball or, you know, dodgeball or something like that. But it felt good when somebody said, oh, you know, I want Congress on my team. And you were one of the first ones. Why? Because that person saw something in you that they wanted you on their team. Well, well, that's how God deals with us. He looks at us and he looks down on, on, sinful, on, on the sinful world. And the Bible says that he called us out to be his own. He called us. He made us holy, separate. And that's why the Bible says that's how we should live. 
And so you notice there in verse 21, he says, greet every saint, those who are called out. And then he says, in Christ Jesus. That's, that's where we're called out to. We're, we're, we're called out to be like Christ each and every day. Um, in every way, we should live our life for him. That's why I love that song we just sang. Because when you stop and you think what Christ did on our behalf, what he's asking us to do is really nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's very little. You know, emulate the example I gave you. Follow in my footsteps. Do what I have done. And by the way, I've given you the Holy Spirit to help you do it. I've given you the Word of God to guide you and lead you. It's not like he's just throwing us out there in the dark saying, okay, yeah, have fun trying to live the Christian life. Ha ha. He doesn't do that. He gives us everything we need in Christ Jesus to fulfill that calling that God has put upon us. And so that reality of being called out into Christ is really unique to Christianity. See, other, other world religions, a lot of them don't, most of them don't see themselves as being united with the religious figure who founded them. But merely they just follow the teachings of that person. But Christians do not just believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead and is coming again. But they also believe that they are in union with him. That's why we're called Christians, little, little Christ's. We're left here as an example to a lost and dying world. And as such, we should live. Remember what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I who live. But what? But Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in Christ, I live by, by the power of the faith that I have in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, and it's through that sacrificial death of Christ Jesus Christ sets these believers apart and he makes them holy. We don't make ourselves holy. Do you understand that? We have no capacity to make ourselves holy. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't try hard to, to live good Christian lives and do what's right, obviously. But a non-Christian can do that. And if you believe that somehow you can, by doing that, make yourself holy enough to get into heaven, you're sadly mistaken. Because the Bible says very clearly that all, what, have sinned and fall short of God's glory. There's nobody that measures up except the Son of God. And so the character of our, of our sainthood, you might say, is really that we are in Christ. We're called out from a lost and dying world and we're placed into Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes this in verse 17 and 21. He writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things have what? Passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Everything is new. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's, it's just interesting to me that God has taken us as sinful beings and he's transformed us into glorious saints by his own pleasure and for his own pleasure. See, we like to think sometimes that God looks down from heaven and he goes, oh, you know, um, you know, Ken Saragusa, he can play the drums. I think I'll save him. I need him. You know, Bob Noto, he can play the guitar. I need him on the worship team. I'll save him, you know. Uh, George Hollingsworth, he can do the sound. I, you know, it doesn't work that way. Because the Bible says that God's, God really set his love upon us before the foundation of the world. And hello, we weren't here. Some of you say, well, you don't know how old I am. But I know you're not. You weren't there at the foundation of the world. Okay, that, that would be over the top. 
None of us were here. And yet that's when the Bible tells us that God set His love divinely upon us and called us out to be Him, His own, His saints. And you say, well then, you know, how does that, that work out to us? You know, in, remember, with God's, in God's world, there is no timeline. We forget this. There's no time. God transcends time. There's no yesterday. There's no tomorrow. There's no, you know, there's none of that. He sees everything like now, which is just incredible to me. This last week when we were going through VBS, every, at the end of each day, I said, okay, only four more days to go. I say, yeah, you know, Tuesday, three more days to go. Wednesday, two more days to go. And it was like this progressive thing. And I thought, boy, if you were God, it would just be like, boom, you were already done. And it was, it was everything was done. You know? And it, it's just kind of a, a neat thing to think about that, that God transcends time. But he called us out to be his own. And that's what the, our character is that we're in Christ. In verse 20 there also, he says... Now to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, the worship of our, of our sainthood, what, who are we supposed to worship? Well, obviously, the worship of our, of our sainthood needs to be God. Um, you know, that, that word there is kind of a doxology is, is what we use. And worship really defines who we are. It's not just music. A lot of times we think of music and we think, oh, you know, yeah, that's, that's worship. You know, worship is serving. Worship is giving. That's why here at this church we still take an offering. People say, why don't you just put the box in the back and let people put their stuff in there and, you know, that way it frees up more time for other things during the service and, you know, you don't have the awkwardness. People not. Because we believe that giving is an act of worship. We don't want to just stick it, hide it in a box back there so you can just go by and slip a little thing in or whatever. I mean, that, that's not the, the purpose of it. The purpose is, is to include you in part of, of the worshiping of our Lord and Savior. That's why we give. That's why we sing. That's why we serve. That's why we do anything we do is to worship God. And this, this doxology, this whole thing is about God's glory. You notice Paul doesn't say, now, to me... <laughs> To me be the glory. No. He says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And that word, doxology, comes from glory and the word. And it it's really has the idea of giving God all the glory for whatever is in your life. And I think that that's a good, a very good um, point that we need to stop and think. You know what? As, as saints, are we to get the glory? For what we do? Are we to stand up and say, look at what I've done, look at my life, look at... No, we don't do that. Um, you know, the reason we don't do that is because it's God working in us. And you know what, in, in Romans, basically chapters 1 to 11, there's so many truths in the first section of, of, of Romans. But turn over to Romans chapter 11. So I just want us to look at this, what he says here at the end. And this is kind of a doxology, even though it's not at the end of the book. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and 30 through 36. 
See, true worship always flows from divine truth. You can't, you can't have true worship without divine truth. See, some people get mixed up and they think, well, worship is just, you know, you know, everybody's swaying together and their arms up and, oh, it's just wonderful. That's not necessarily true worship. That can be a form of worship. But that doesn't mean, if it's not based on divine truth, what do you got? You got a bunch of people in a room feeling nice and waving their hands in the air. You know, that's why here in our, in our church, once again, I mean, we enjoy music, we sing a lot of songs, but we've never had a Sunday morning where, okay, we sang all the songs, let's just go home. That was fun. That was good. You know, we praised and worshiped God. You know, we don't need any kind of a teaching or anything from God's Word because, you know, that's kind of boring. Well, we believe this is, is the, the foundation upon which everything else flows. And so a worship service without the Word of God incorporated somehow would be lacking greatly. That's why even at our prayer times with other churches, a pastor would get up and, and share something from the Word of God. Because we, we believe the Word of God is what edifies us, what builds us up. Well, look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I mean, he says they're just so far, they're so lofty, don't even try to figure it out. You know, it was weird. Last night I was down here and kind of cleaning some stuff up and vacuuming and, and setting the platform up and for today. And I put it off since Friday because kind of wiped out on Friday. And then Saturday, you know, we did some other stuff. And, and so I thought, well, I'll do it, you know, later on, later on. And I kept on putting it off. So I'm down here at 10 o'clock, you know, Saturday night, staring at these chairs lined up against the walls. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to do this right now. And I know I can call some people, but, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night, Saturday night. So... I'm thinking, well, lack of planning on my part, whatever. So I kind of started maybe with the first or second chair. I put it off as long as I could all night, you know, thinking maybe it would cool off in here, which it never did, by the way. It just got hotter and hotter, it seemed. And so I put the stage together and everything, and then we're, we're getting the, the thing. And all of a sudden, I see George and his two boys walk through the back doors. I'm like, praise God, you know, just at the perfect time. You know, and I thought, wow, you know, he was, yeah, I thought maybe, some, you know, we were going to come down and set up the chairs. I'm like, gosh, this is great. So we did it in what probably would have taken, you know, two hours or whatever. It took us, you know, an hour or 45 minutes. It just went really quick. But, you know, it was, I look back on that and I'm thinking, you know what? God's ways, he knew, he knew that I wasn't going to plan out every little detail after BBS to where I had everybody, you know, helping to do all this stuff. And God knew that maybe I'd be tired on Saturday night and needed to do some preparation for Sunday and all this stuff. And so, you know, what did he do? He, he, his ways are beyond my, my ways. I could have called George and he would have probably brought his boys down here. I didn't even have to do that. God's grace just, you know, walked into the room and we got it done. Well, that's, that's the God that we serve. And sometimes when we're in a tight spot or we're in a, a fix or we're in a hard place, we have to remember that, you know what? God may have us there for a purpose. But don't ever question God and His wisdom because they're so far above you, you can't even begin to comprehend. You may be going through health issues. You may be going through emotional struggles or, or you know, relationship with your kids, whatever it might be. There may be major things in your life right now nobody else knows about but you. Right here this morning as you sit here. But you know what? God knows every detail. And God knows exactly what he's doing. He hasn't lost control of anything. He goes on in verse 34. 
And he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Kind of a rhetorical question in a way. Kind of a, a question that almost needs no answer. Who has become his counselor? See what he's doing? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom what? Be glory forevermore. See, our chief end in our lives is to glorify Christ, is to bring Christ glory. And as he concludes in the book of Romans over a couple of chapters, if you look over at chapter 16, in verses 25 and 27, kind of a benediction of sorts. Love this. Love this section. Because this should encourage our worship as saints when we begin to realize it's all about God's glory. He says in verse 25 of Romans 16, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, he's talking about God here, he, him who is able, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience of faith to what? To God alone. Wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. See, God gets the glory. And, and that's what we have to continually, continually remind ourselves. Because you know what? Our flesh wants the glory, don't we? We want to have that pat on the back. We want to, you know, oh, great, good job, all this stuff. You know, we want that. And it's nothing wrong with encouraging somebody with kind words of encouragement. But also, just be careful when you hear them. You know, I remember when I first went into ministry, even as a, a youth pastor, I remember we had a, a pastor who was, uh, his name was Glenn Colwell, and he was actually the mayor of Scotts Valley at the time. I think he's still, still living. He just wrote a book. But he came to our church as an interim pastor over at First Baptist Church in, in Fremont. And uh, uh, it's funny because he was asking me, well, how does your, what does your church do expect at the end of each service? And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, I mean, what's the pastor do after the service? I, said, I guess whatever he wants to do. Usually he goes to the back door and stands there. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I, he goes, I've been through that. And I said, what do you mean? Because that's when everybody says nice things to you and about your message and everything. He goes, let me give you a word of advice, Steve. He goes, if you ever find yourself in that position at a back door of a church and people are just, oh, wonderful message, Pastor. Da, 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 da. He goes, don't believe a word. Don't you ever believe a word of it. Because he goes, you know what? He goes, that can lead to pride in your life. That can, you know, and it's by the grace of God, beloved, each Sunday that that we get through the service. In my mind. I'm just, I mean, that's the way I'm, that's where I'm at. Because you know what? There's, there's just, it's, it's by His grace that God grants us His truth and, and our minds to be able to discern it and, and to just flow together as one body. It has nothing to do with one individual. We all have the same Bible. We can all read it. We can, you know, some of you could probably come up here and teach better than I could teach. You know? And, and that's, that's the key. 
It's not, it's not a matter of who's doing what, but is, is, are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you worshiping God as His saint, as His called out one? Because that's really what He wants from us. Now, the other kind of section I want us to focus in here in Philippians is, is verses 23 and 22. Because he says there, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. And you know what? This is the really talks about the fellowship that we share as saints. And that word greet isn't just like, hey, what's up? That has, has, you know, or hey, what's going on? You know, how was your week? You know, it's not talking about that kind of greeting. You know, when we have our little greeting time, and you turn around and shake some hands, you know, you say nice words, and you know, but you know, you, you don't, you don't go into depth with somebody during that time. Well, maybe some of you do because when we start the other song, you're still talking halfway through the other song, and that's okay. You know, that's what it's all about. But you know, that word greet there, and and really he. we uses it over and over again. He uses it three times there. It really implies a strong bond of fellowship. Um, a kind of fellowship that's not easily broken. And you know what? Throughout this book in Philippians, he expressed his love for the Philippian church over and over and over again. And he really wanted them to understand that, you know what? He uses the word every. He uses the word all. In other words, he's not overlooking anybody. He wants everybody to know that, you know what? You need to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Not just the people you like. Not just the ones you like to hang out with afterwards. But every saint is that important to God, is that important to Christ, and should be that important to us as believers. I know we all have different personalities and we like to hang out with different people and all that, and I don't think that's what he's talking about here. But he's talking about we shouldn't in any malicious way snub somebody who's part of God's church. Just shouldn't do it. It's uncalled for. And if the Bible is very clear, if we have a problem with somebody, what are we to do? We're to go to that person and say, hey, i got a problem with you and here's what it is and work it out. Because that's the bond that can't be broken. But see, when we, when we hold back and, and we begin to wonder in our mind, well, they said this, what are they meaning by that? And, and then all these gymnastics go off in our mind and, and we're thinking all these things about somebody, you know, which is not even, that wasn't even their intent. But the fellowship that we share as saints is very, very strong. And it's, it's collective. That's why you can go to this church, you can go to a church after this church, to another church where there's Bible-believing Christians, and you know what? You would feel that same bond. Even though, you know, you may not even know those people. I can't tell you how many times I've gone away on vacation, gone to a church, and just felt, wow, this is me. And you just feel part of the body. You don't feel like an outsider, you don't feel like anything. And the reason is, is because that bond is between you and Christ and His church. Now, we want to do everything we can to make people feel comfortable and make people feel welcome here, but we also don't want that to be a kind of a, a fake thing. You know, I mean, some churches you get there and it's, I mean, you know, they hit you from all angles and boy, you know, you, but it's all kind of marketed and it's all, you know, it's done in such a way that the idea is to put the hook in so they got you. That should never be our motivation. Our motivation should be, you know what? We love you because you're a brother or sister in Christ. 
That's, that's really what Paul is saying here. And he says there in verse 22, all the saints greet you, but especially those of Caesar's household. And you say, well, what, what does, what's that all about? You know, the, the greatest joy, I believe, of a saint is when they see someone who's not a saint become a saint. When they see someone who's lost, the light goes on, God calls them, God transforms their heart, and all of a sudden they're embracing Christ. That's so incredibly exciting. The joy in that. That's what, you know, Luke 15, Jesus told the parables that illustrate salvation. The first was of a man who, who basically rejoiced at finding his one lost sheep. And he rejoiced over that. The second was of a, of a woman who rejoiced at finding her, her coin in a, in a house that she had lost. And both really expressed the joy that we should have when someone comes to Christ. I mean, the, the angels in heaven rejoice. Surely we can rejoice. And yet, in a lot of our lives, that's kind of the last place we go to get joy. When's the last time you said, yeah, I'm feeling kind of down. Maybe I'll go lead somebody to Christ. Maybe I'll go share the gospel with somebody, see if I can get somebody that's ready to come to Christ. That would, you know, boost me up. That would give me a, a shot of joy. See, I mean, Satan knows that, and he discourages it from that. Oh, you can do that, you know. You don't have the words. You don't have the background. You don't know all the, you know, what if they ask you a question you don't know the answer? I always tell people, just tell me you don't know the answer. But I do know that Jesus is the answer. And if you come to him, he'll, he'll help you with that. But see, here when it says those of Caesar's household, it was especially meaningful to the Philippians because Philippi was a Roman colony. And the citizens were Roman citizens. And because they were close, they had close ties with Rome in that way, it was possible that the Philippians knew some of the members of Caesar's household. And you know what? It's obvious that they eventually came to Christ whether through them or through Paul even. Remember, Paul was imprisoned in Rome and he was chained to a Roman soldier. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that they came to Christ eventually. And that's where his joy came from. And that's where our joy should come from. But you look at the end of this chapter, the end of this book, and it really talks about not just our joy and, 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 and not all these other things about saints but he touches on verse 23 and he closes off there he says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you you know he's come full circle if you look back at, at Philippians chapter 1 he wrote this letter and this was the first thing on his mind it says to all the saints in verse 1 and verse 2 he says what grace to you and peace and at the end, he says, you know what? Don't ever forget all... You, you, the only way that you could ever do all these things that God has called us to do is by His grace. We, we trust in, in the grace of God. We don't trust in ourselves. Ourselves will let us down every time. And he's come full circle. And he says, you know what? It comes right back to the foundation of our beliefs about the grace of God. The resources of all of those who believe in Jesus Christ is because of the grace that is available through Christ. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's undeserved favor. A lot of people get grace and mercy mixed up. Grace is, is, is God giving us something that we don't deserve. That's what grace is. Grace is like you go home today and you get a phone call 
And somebody says, hey, I just deposited a million dollars in your checking account. Have fun and hang up. And you go on the computer, oh, it's there. That would be great. You didn't know this. Why would they do this? I don't know. That's, that's great. It's unmerited favor. You did nothing to this person. You don't even know this person who did it. All right? But mercy, mercy is when God withholds from us what we truly deserve. See, grace is him giving us something we don't deserve. Mercy is when he withholds something that we do deserve. Mercy is when you're driving down Jefferson and it's a little faster than you should drive and you get pulled over by a police officer and, you know, you smile and it's your birthday and he looks at your license and says, you know what, slow down, but have a nice day. He should have given you a ticket, but he didn't. He, he withheld that. He showed you mercy, which they're usually not prone to do, so don't do that. I know by experience, trust me. I tried everything. One time I got, I think, I got forgiven of a ticket, or maybe twice, but we were going on my birthday a couple years ago. We were driving up to Sacramento. We thought we'd go to Old Town Sacramento. That's probably three or four years ago. And right after you get over the, uh, the bridge there and get on 80, we're driving on 80. You know how they, if you've ever driven on that, they have those carpool lanes. So I'm thinking, hey, carpool lane, this is kind of backed up. I'll get to the carpool lane. Well, dumb me, I didn't look at the sign. And I'm thinking, hey, two people in the car, that's okay, right? No, not up there. It's three people for like this section of road. You know, it's just, I don't think it's right, personally. But anyway, I got pulled over. And, and the guy goes, well, you know why I pulled you over? I go, no, I, I was going traffic. I mean, I'm obeying the law, I'm trying to be, you know... And uh, he goes, well, you know, it's carpool lane. Yeah, it's my wife, you know. Two. And he goes, look at the sign. And I'm like, oh, you know, three. When did they start that? And so I hold on. And he goes, takes my license and goes back to his motorcycle. And I'm thinking, I got to take it. I can't believe it. I'm looking, you know, fine, you know, $273, whatever it is. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, there goes our little trip to, you know, let's just go turn around and go home at this point. And so he comes back and he goes, uh, Mr. Congress, he goes, uh, uh, just, just don't do this again. He goes, you know, observe the law. He goes, have a nice day. And by the way, happy birthday. And I was like, what? What? You're not going to give me a ticket? And he was already in there. He took off, you know. And I thought, man, the grace of God was wonderful. So, but I stayed out of the carpool lane the whole time up there. Even when it said two people, I think. I thought, I'm not going to tempt this deal, you know. But, but the, the Lord's grace is, is when he, he, he gives us something we don't deserve. And you know what, beloved? He's given us so, so much in Christ. And when you stop and you think about the character of a saint, someone who's called out to be like Christ, the worship of a saint, everything we do ministry-wise, it's all for his glory. And the fellowship that we share together, this tight bond of believers... And the joy that we see when, when, when we have a, a sinner who is who, convicted of their sin and they, they turn their life over to Christ and, and God grants them sainthood. The joy that comes from that and the resources that God gives us as saints. And all those things are bound up in one thing, our relationship with Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm so thankful about that. So thankful that God just didn't let us floundering down here. That He gave us a purpose. He forgave our sin, but then He took it to the next level. He said, you know what? I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you through the rest of your life. But it's by His grace. I want us to, to remember that. In the coming weeks, we're going to have a couple different people um, speaking. I'll be speaking next week, and I'll be gone for actually two Sundays. And 
but uh, you know we'll we'll then we'll get back into a book uh, as we finished off uh, Philippians here eventually. So, but let's just uh, close in a word of prayer this morning, and and I pray that you'd stay after for the picnic, and uh, uh, we got some excellent food, some tri-tip and potato salad and chicken and hot dogs. We got more than enough. So even if you you know have to run out and then come back and bring some more people, that's fine too. So let's just close in a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll sing sing a song and be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you truly uh, called us to be saints, called us out from a lost and dying world, and uh, called us to be your own. And Lord, you did that not because of something that we did, but you did that because you set your love upon us in a divine way. And Lord, that's just an incredible. We can't even understand it, comprehend it. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here who is yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, who is yet to cry out to you, a holy God, and because of their unholiness, recognize their need for a sinner, for as a sinner, for a Savior. And Lord, we just pray that you would just speak to their heart, that you would help them to cry out to you and, and just to, to be merciful to them. Lord, give them the truth they need. Help them to put the, the pieces of the puzzle together so that they could trust you for their salvation. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we pray even now that you would bless our fellowship together. We pray even that you would bless this food to our bodies that we're about to partake of in a few moments. And just bless our fellowship. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's